The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. It is that time again. Hello, everyone. Mike Gilland here on Afternoons with Mike on the line with me. And what a treat this is for an Indiana Hoosier who turned into an Orlando Magic basketball fan in their inaugural season. I have on the line with me Magic player Jonathan Isaac. Jonathan, welcome to my program. Mike, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm excited to talk with you. I'm very excited to talk with you. And, you know, you're one of these guys. In my heart, you would just have to know, I grew up thinking I was going to be a lot taller than I ended up being. But I had a a, uh, seven-foot love of basketball in my heart. But that never translated into my stature, I'm afraid. But you you just about hit that mark, my friend. Yes. Yes. So I, I, I thank God that this is what I'm doing as a profession and, and just excited to keep growing as a young player. Oh, that's so wonderful. Now, I know that you uh, played basketball for FSU for one year before becoming eligible for the NBA draft. But you're one of these guys, one of the few guys that uh, are projected and actually hit the first round of the NBA draft. And congratulations on that number. What? Number six overall, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Oh, that was really wonderful. Jonathan, uh, basketball is a wonderful thing. It's great. It's fun. Those of us that love it uh, really enjoy watching the game. But uh, we both know that there are things that are far, far more important in life than that. And that is our faith in Jesus. And that's something that you have excelled at as well. And that God did something in your heart. Why don't you, first of all, give us your background and how you uh, kind of came up to know the Lord. Well, the, the background is, a, is a, it's a story. It's a long story. And that's a part of why I wrote the book, Why I Stand. So if you really want the the 411 and the details, you got to go grab the book. But I will give you I'll give you a snapshot. So All right. I, I, grew, I, I grew up in church. Um, my dad had us there. It felt like every day um, he was like the the super just in church all the time. Just Holy Ghost filled guy. Um, and he was the really like the, the rock of our family while we were in New York. And so I kind of got the, the the tradition just of faith where it was just you went to church, you know, you had some fun, people danced around, but I didn't understand what it was to have a relationship with God or even if that was really possible. It was just that God was to be respected and revered and you tried your best to do right. And that's one of the things that he instilled in us from an early age, integrity, character. Um, but my parents ended up splitting up when I was about 10 years old. And I moved from Bronx, New York to Naples, Florida. And that's when, like, as, a, as a young kid, I kind of hit life. And so um, I went from a predominantly black community to a predominantly white community. And I really struggled um, with fitting in with the other kids and trying to, 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 to make a path for my own. Um, and so I detail in the book a couple of stories of just how badly it was going with me trying to fit in. And around that time was, it was the first time as a young kid that I felt self-conscious or aware of myself in a way that I didn't feel in, in the Bronx. Cause I just, I just fit in, you know, we love to horseplay, but horseplay all the time. And that's how you made friends. But when I tried to horseplay in Naples, I got in trouble and I was, I was almost, you know, portrayed as being a, a, a 
something to be feared by the other kids. And so I became self-conscious. I developed a, a deep grain of anxiety and fear um, with rejection and, and, and wanting people to love me and wanting attention, but I never really got it. And uh, that's when I found basketball. And basketball for me started to give me all the things that I wanted out of life, where the girls started to like me because of the basketball player that I was becoming. The guys wanted to be around me. They wanted me to be on their team. I was the first pick on the playground. And so uh, that got me the attention and, you know, the favor that I wanted. But obviously a game can't sustain who you are. And so I still struggle with that anxiety and those fears behind the scenes on top of becoming this great basketball player. And ultimately, I I become the number one player in the state of Florida um, and the number five player in the country to go to Florida State. But again, those those anxieties and those fears are still lingering in the background. And what it was was that I, I didn't I didn't want to lose it. And so mm -hmm. if I had a bad game, I would I would hate myself because I was like, I'm going to lose all of the love and attention that I worked so hard to get. And so basketball really did become an idol and 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 my value in, in life. And so I got to Florida State and I ended up having to be on anxiety medication because of how bad I was struggling. Um, but then again, I'm, I'm the big man on campus. I'm the, I'm the number one player in the state of Florida. And nobody knows that I'm on anxiety medication to play. Wow. And then I, I get to I get to the NBA. Um, and it's still it's still some of the same things. I'm not on the medication anymore, but I'm still struggling behind the scenes of trying to trying to 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 kind of just be who everyone wants me to be. But I'm struggling because I don't believe in myself. And so uh, finally, I meet this gentleman on the on an elevator and he stops me and he says to me, I can tell you how to be great. And I'm like, great. OK, he says, you have to know Jesus. And I'm like, man, I know Jesus. I, I you know, I, I've been in youth group, all those different things. When I was a kid, I, I, I know Jesus. And from there, there's like this amazing story of just God ordering our footsteps and just really God revealing himself to me. And one of the things that that was the light bulb moment for me with God revealing himself to me was that here is this God that's checking for me. He wants to be in relationship with me, but I'm not checking for him. I'm doing my own thing. Mm -hmm. But it was the fact that he's checking for me because he loves me. And it was the first time in my life that I could really breathe as I started to learn about the love of God and the people that God started to bring in my life to show me what the love of God was like. It was like, man, I don't have to work for this love. I don't have to, I don't have to make a shot for this love. I don't have to be perfect for this love. And that's what started to kind of ease my anxieties. And I started to develop a relationship with him. And the man that stopped me in the elevator went on to become my pastor. Oh, um, that's in, great. In Orlando. Um, and so, yeah, the, the story really is so much more interesting than that with so many details and just like stories and, and just loopholes and all that stuff. But that that's the 411. I, I started to develop a relationship with God there. And I've been I've been doing it at Jump Ministries Global Church now for about five years. I met my wife there. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that, that's my coming to the Lord. That is a wonderful story. And, you know, we hear stories about someone talking to a person. In your case, it would be the same in the fact that you had a background in, in the Lord. It's not like you didn't know anything about Jesus. But that person that talked to you who became your pastor, that person in the elevator, we never know when it, that's us and we're talking to somebody else. We never know the ultimate end of what that conversation is going to bring about but we're still to do it as he did with you and look what happened exactly absolutely right there's the there's the, the verse that says one plants one waters but god brings the increase um and also at the end of the day that god uses people and so i'm, I'm glad that he stopped me um, now looking at my life and looking looking at what god has been able to do in my life and again to the point of when i was younger it was so much of just tradition 
But as I grew up and and having those moments of meeting that guy and then going to the church and growing, it was like you can have a tangible relationship with Christ. And that's what a relationship with Christ is. It's tangible. He's leading you. He's guiding you. Um, he's a friend that's walking you through your highs and your lows. And so um, it's been it's been great to ex- experience all of that. You know, I'm sure. And you've offered a, a, a little bit of a peek through the window of uh, transparency into the heart and life of a uh, top athlete. We see top athletes. You, you mentioned making basketball an idol, and I'm quite confident that a lot of America have made basketball watching an idol as well, and it becomes the most important thing. And I think everyone has these images that when you're a top player like what you were, you shouldn't have a, a single care in the world. But the truth of it is you're playing even at the NBA level, and you're dealing with things in your heart that no one else knows and that is the painful reality, isn't it? Yeah, and it's 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 just the truth for everybody that you know your job, you know basketball, sports. It's it's just something you do, but who you are is 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 so much bigger than that. And there's so many factors and things that encompass who you are. Um, but then again, the, the the heart of the person and and how they do what they do. Um, and there, there's a story in the book where um, I'm at Florida State and they take me to see a therapist after I had a couple episodes and of anxiety attacks and the therapist, I'm not even kidding you. He looks at me, I'm sitting in his office. He looks at me and he says, what could possibly be wrong? Yeah. He's, he's, he says, you, you're, you're a handsome guy. You're going to the league. Um, you know, cause it, it was pretty much pronounced that I was a shoo to be a top 10 pick. He's like, you're going to the NBA. What, what could possibly be wrong with you? There's nothing. <laughs> I'm sure the girls like you, like well, what issue are you having? And immediately I was looking at him like, this is how you're going to help me. But but I I didn't give him anything. But it it just to that point about looking at people and thinking that, uh, you know, they should have a breeze in life and they shouldn't have any worries. It's not true. We're all human. We all struggle with a lot of the same things. A lot of times money and fame and status are is is a mask of 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 a lot of those uh, internal uh, issues that we all deal with. Mm hmm. Yeah, all that money doesn't buy you peace, does it? No, not at all. Not at all. And you deal with, uh, again, a world around you that uh, most of us look at that world, and and there's anything from jealousy that people have when they think about a guy like yourself. You're 6'11", you walk into a room, people notice you for no other reason than just your stature, but then they begin looking and knowing you, and they think, well, there's a guy that's got everything going for him, and yet on the inside of the heart can be just a, a scramble for peace, a scramble for acceptance and meaning and man I just appreciate the transparency that you've given us but I think that's a real story of a lot of people who may not be at NBA level in what they do but their lives are just equally a mask it's equally a situation where it looks like they should be doing great they might be a CEO of a company uh, and look like they have it all together but they don't and the only one thing that can change any of those things is the fact that we have available to us, the Lord who offers his peace, his grace to all those that he's called. And he, uh, he obviously called you, my friend. Yes, sir. Mike, what, the last point I'll add on that, on that tangent is uh, uh, one thing that my pastor has always said to me, and I've really come to, to, to believe and understand is that God is not a want. God is a need. And so when you see people and even myself, like you were talking about the CEO, the people have everything, that, that 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 phrase that says we all have a God-shaped hole in our hearts, it's yes. really true that 
I thought that I was living, even though I was struggling with these things behind the scenes, I thought I had the life that everybody wanted. And I was content with that. I wasn't looking to change. Um, but now that I've encountered what a relationship with Christ is like and what experiencing his love and, and his leading and his favor and his protection, all those different things, I'm like, man, now I'm really living. And the verse about he came that we might have a life and have life more abundantly, you know, I've, I've exceeded what a life of just the world being an NBA player could be, but a life in crisis is is so much better. And, and so that's where I'm at. Now, I know that there are others that are in the professional ranks of basketball that have faith in Jesus. Are, are you finding, I, I love the title of your book, Why I Stand. And, and the fact is, uh, we'll talk in the next segment a, a little bit more about uh, the literal standing that you did. Uh, which is admirable, and I so appreciate the heart that you've got for our country and the fact that uh, though a lot of people, a lot of your teammates, a lot of uh, fellow players in the NBA and the NFL and all these other teams like that, they're, they're not taking such a stand as what you are. Do you find at times that you're standing uh, alone in your faith, or are there people around you that uh, really are helpful uh, co-players that you find solace in? You know, there's definitely been a few players that because of the stands that I've taken have kind of, you know, come out of the weeds a little bit and I've made connections with, but I would, I would say for, for the most part, um, no, Uh, I've, I've found that a lot of the stands that I have taken um, have been, you know, me, 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 me doing it alone on, on just the, the NBA level, but obviously yeah. I have people that are with me um, who are supporting me behind the scenes. But, um, but yes, in, in, in the league, I would say, you know, in, in times it has been standing alone, but you know, there, there are, there, there are guys out there that are in the league and that I've been able to make connections with. That's helpful, but I, I'm not surprised at the answer because uh, we're living in this day in this culture where so many people are, are feeling that they need to line up on this other side, this, this woke side of living where it's really uh, very, very difficult to even see through uh, what would be the values of, of traditional American thought, American values. Uh, in this day and age, it's, it's a, a tough thing to have faith in Christ. And we seem to be living in a post-Christian world. So uh, I'm not surprised to hear it's sad that you have to be standing alone often, but not surprised at that fact. But uh, I, I'm grateful for the fact that you do have people around you. And that's something that the church can bring to yes. one's life is as that sense of uh, security, the sense of confidence, uh, the sense that you're not truly standing alone, even though professionally in those ranks, it may feel that way. Absolutely. And there's so much in the book about what my church family has been to me um, and exactly what you said, a community, a uh, fellowship, uh, a strength and um something that I always can, you know, it was the, after the stand had happened, um, I got a, a text message to my phone and it was a video and it was pretty much the entire church one by one, uh, a video of each of them saying, I stand with you. I stand with wow. you and with you, I stand with you. And so, uh, so yeah, that, that's absolutely what a church family is. And it brought me peace and solace knowing that I wasn't in there alone. Wow. Well, I, I feel that it's such an honor to be able to talk to you today, and I'm grateful. And coming up in our next segment, we're going to be talking more about the book itself and about the stand that you took regarding the anthem and all of that. 
uh, the, the final question about your days at, at Florida State. Uh, you were there and you played alongside a lot of other players that, uh, again, it, it, I, I can't even imagine what it's like playing at college level, much less NBA level. But when you look at those, uh, those two things, what's the biggest difference between playing collegiate versus pro? What, what, what are some of the differences that you found? Man, it's it's it it really is different. It's just it's just a different game. Um, you know, I I just start out with the rules. Obviously, the shorter clock shot clock and and uh you know defensive three seconds and all those things. But it's it's just a different level of of skill, of athleticism, of of I would say knowledge of just the game and how things work. And so it's just it's just the it's just a faster, stronger, tougher game. Um, yeah. But no, I mean, obviously, no, no, not to the college players. They do a great job. But oh, it, yeah, it, it is different. Yeah, but I'm, I am uh, agreeing. It's something just from an observer standpoint. When you think about uh, the few people, what a, what a small percentage it is of all athletes that make it to the NBA level. And you're one of those. And not only were you one of those, but you were uh, a, a number six first round drafters. So uh, I'm sure that with all of the skills and all of the prep that you had, I'm sure going in your first game had to be an eye opener, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. At my first year, my first couple of years. <laughs> oh, man. I just can't imagine. And that's where it will have to be left in my life, Jonathan, because I'm never going to see that. Oh my goodness. What a wonderful thing it is to, that you've experienced it. And I'm talking today to Jonathan Isaac. He's the author of the book, Why I Stand. And he's obviously a player for the Magic. Uh, and we're going to be back with him in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Don't go away. For a basketball lover like I am, I am uh, so beside myself to have on the line with me basketball phenom Jonathan Isaac from the Orlando Magic. And he is uh, on the phone here with us. Not only is he a great basketball player, but he's also a great lover of Jesus. And that has seen in not only the way he lives, he has written a book on why he stands and the uh, the impact of making a stand for the Lord. Uh, you know, speaking of standing, that's something that was um, maybe a bit painful for you in the physical sense. You've suffered a couple of injuries. And tell us how you're doing. Man, I'm, I'm doing really, really well. Um, obviously, the, the, the first injury um, back after I stood and I had a little hiccup here um, a few weeks ago, but I'm, I'm feeling great. Um, I'm back on the court. I'm back, you know, moving around and, and, and getting to it. And I'm just excited for the upcoming season. Now, the first injury that you had was an ACL. And uh, what uh, what was the, su- the surrounding uh, events that led up to that injury? Uh, the s- surrounding events was, uh, was, was that, like you said, you know, standing in the bubble. And then the next game um, that I decided to stand again, I ended up hurting myself then and tearing my ACL. And then I left the bubble. Um, and then from there, the story of, you know, how the book came about and, 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 and then working on a book in my free time uh, has landed us here. Wow. You know, an ACL injury is a, is a painful one, but you brought yourself back from that. And, and uh, you did, like you said, you had a little hiccup recently in your rehab, but things are going great and you're looking good, looking strong for uh, the upcoming uh, season. Before we jump into the book, what are your thoughts about what's going on right now in the finals? You know, I, I think it's been exciting. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the game tonight. I, I think that 
what I like about this this year's finals is that it hasn't been some well this year's playoffs for that matter is it hasn't been completely cut and dry about who's going to win what mm-hmm. and so it, it's been exciting um I'm not necessarily going for anybody but I'm just looking to you know for a great finals hopefully we get a game se- seven out of it and we'll see where it goes they do seem to be very evenly matched and I think a lot of people were surprised in game one at the way that turned right. out uh, right and uh, being a, a guy that lived in Gainesville and a Gator dad, three of my kids graduated from wow. UF, watching Horford play and play as well as he's been playing right now has been pretty exciting. Yeah, he, he's he's great. He's great. He does he does a great job of leading that team and and being a just being a leader out there. He's had so much experience, so he definitely helps him out a lot. Yes, he does. You referenced Jonathan the the bubble. And for a moment, tell us what that was like when the coronavirus hit and the the season was canceled, uh, the rest of the season was canceled, and then we go into the the new season, and there's this thing called the bubble. What was that like? Well, the, the bubble was interesting, um, and obviously the times that it was in, like you say, COVID, um, George Floyd, it was, it was just a hard time. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, America was hurting in, in so many different ways and trying to figure out what exactly is the right route to take and to do. And then on top of that, you have the just the political divide of both of those situations, the cultural divide. Um, and that's where I found myself. And so, uh, you know, I was the COVID. The, we go into the bubble as a way to finish out the, the playoffs of the season um, by trying our best to stay safe. So they throw everybody in there. You can't leave. You got to test every day, all these different measures. Um, and then exactly around that time, you have the George Floyd situation. Yeah. So there is there is there is a, a united front on the players and um, and the league ends for that matter to to support, you know, the organization and the phrase Black Lives Matter. And so it's on the court. It's on the jerseys. Um, it's on the warm ups. And around that same time, there was there was talk from the players about kneeling for the national anthem. And so. uh we, we go into the bubble and we have our first game, not not our first game, but the first game of the the bubble, you know, that playoffs mm-hmm. that count, the, the first team kneels for the national anthem. And then it's obviously going to be like a domino effect. And so detailed in the book, we have this meeting where uh, the, the, the higher ups of the team, they bring us all in and they're like, look, this team just kneeled. We're, we want you guys to do whatever you want to do. We support you. And they leave the room and say, you guys talk about it amongst yourselves. And so everybody's like, we don't have a choice. We have to kneel. We can't be the first team who doesn't kneel. Case closed. End of conversation. We're kneeling. Mm-hmm. And um, one player turns to me and he says, well, Jonathan, what are you going to do? And I, I thought it was funny that he did that because he, they didn't ask anybody else individually, but almost like they knew me to a certain degree. And he says, Jonathan, what are you going to do? And I said, fellas, I am not going to kneel and I'm not going to wear that T-shirt. And uh, that obviously erupted a bunch of chaos. And we get to the day of what the the, the day we'd be playing is literally the next day. And so uh, I tell them I'm not going to do it. There's chaos in the room. And it ends up saying, OK, everybody just do what you want to do. That is what it is. It's going to be crazy tomorrow, but it is what it is. And so uh, the night before, which is that same day, I'm on the phone with my pastor and I'm telling him, like, you know, you don't understand how big this is going to be. People are getting canceled. I hadn't signed my contract yet. My contract was still up in the air. There was a lot of factors that could have, you know, persuaded me to obviously to not go through with it. Um, and then obviously just the cultural disdain that was going to come from me doing this. And uh, 
he said to me, you cannot stand for God and God not stand for you. And that's the, that, that was the crux of, I'm saying, okay, I'm going through with this. And that's exactly what it was. You know, it, you know, some people made it out to be, I'm, I'm standing for me. I'm standing because I want to make it about myself, but it really was, I could not think of a better message for the times that we were seeing when it comes to the hurting of our country, other than the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I understood for myself, based on my own understanding and experience that not only racism, but all of the things that plague the hearts of men, their heart issues and um, a movement, an organization, a political party, a president are not going to change the hearts of men. The gospel does that in order for us to see ourselves differently, but also to see ourselves in the right way, that, that we all fall short of God's glory. We're all on the same playing field. We all make mistakes. And if we want mercy, we have to show mercy. If wow. we want love, we have to show love. And same thing with forgiveness. And so that's why I decided to stand up and to share the gospel message as the answer for the times, not that black lives don't matter. Um, but that I don't see the the answer being kneeling for the national anthem and wearing a T-shirt. You know, I just had a chance to uh, interview a guy. I don't know if you've ever met Kevin McGarry, but Kevin is going to be on my program in, in just a couple of days. And he uh, said uh, he wrote the he wrote a book, Every Black Life Matters. And he himself is a man, a black man who loves Jesus and speaks all over the place. But uh, he describes what what it was that you've gone through and, and the confusion that happens over an issue when we have deep feelings. I mean, obviously, I don't think there's a single American that liked what happened. But to go the extreme that uh, a lot of people went to with BLM. Uh, and to go with uh, what happened in the bubble with what you're describing is one of the most massive examples of peer pressure. And you think of peer pressure, you think of a, a, a grade schooler or a high schooler. It's, it's like you shouldn't have to have this level of peer pressure when you're an NBA player for crying out loud. But they put it down on you, didn't they? Well, it, it, it was just it was just an emotional time. Um, and, and again, something like George Floyd, it immediately triggers. Um, you know, everything that happened in the past and the yeah. built up resentment and the built up bitterness and the built up. And it was almost like now we have something where it's clear cut um, and we can use it to advance what we want to advance. And so uh, it, it was it was just unfortunate. Again, like you, I mean, like you said, you know, no, nobody enjoyed what happened to George Floyd. It was no. awful, horrible and it was wrong. But that was a time for healing and it could have been a time for healing. Um, if we were able to see it the right way. And for me, the church and the Christians who understand um, that the only reason that we're a Christian in the first place is because God loved us first, you know, to be able to show love in that moment is the thing that is going to bring the healing. Um, not that, you know, there's no consequences for what, you know, he did or um, uh, there's no consequences when someone does something, but we show grace, we show love, we show uh, kindness in moments like that and allow um, obviously, God to be the judge, see, knowing ourselves and how we fall short every day. And so I, ju- I just wanted to share that message and kind of just get get everyone to look at themselves in the moment and say, you know, if, if we're going to throw stones in this moment, we're all throwing stones from a glass house. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if we could really move forward, we would love each other the way that God loves us, which is in spite of our sin, in spite of our shortcomings. And then we can really reach across the aisle and white and black could, could come together. I pray for that, that we could have a a healing in this country. Our country needs healing right now in a way that it's profound 
And uh, it's never been more of a need in our lifetime than what it is right now. Uh, you know, when I think, though, of, of your standing and you're making that decision, uh, I just, I'm just so grateful, Jonathan, for the f- courage and for the fact uh, that you had such a level of conviction in your heart that you, it, it kind of reminds me, honestly, of the story of the three Hebrew children where they were told to kneel and they said, no way. We're not going to kneel. We're not going to go. And, and they were willing to go through what they went through into the furnace. What kind of furnace was it for you the, that first day when you stood? <laughs> oh, man, it, it, was, it was definitely a furnace. Um, but I, I would say there was, there was obviously a ton of negativity, you know, right off the bat. You know, people, you know, I was a coon. I was an Uncle Tom. I was, I was, I was uh, you know, betraying my race and, and all those different things. Um, but at the same time, there was so much encouragement from white and black people who were Christians, who, who understood the stance that I was taking and I wasn't making it about me, but that I was trying my best to bring Jesus to the forefront of the conversation and say, while we're talking about all these different solutions and, and, and solution is to wear the t-shirt and to kneel and these solutions and that solution, I feel, um, that we should at least offer Christ as a solution. And if people want it, they want it. If they don't, they don't. But it's the real solution that's really going to change things. Mm-hmm. And so there was a ton of negativity. There was a ton of positivity, more positivity than negativity. Um, but, you know, detailed in the book that the next day, uh, the day after that, we have a, a team only meeting. And so, you know, the, my same teammates, they, they call a team only meeting and they're ready to to to, to go <laughs> to get to give it to me about. Uh, oh, I bet. Uh, yeah about, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hijacking the movement and I'm making it all about me and all these different things. Um, but you know, we were able to kind of agree to disagree and just say, look, fellas, like I, I, you guys believed in what you were kneeling for. Um, and I believe in what I'm standing for. And and I respected you guys' decision to kneel. I didn't question it. I didn't say, why are you doing this? Um, but I, I, I asked for that same respect in return. Uh, but yeah, but you know, we were able to get through it, and then you have the next game where I get injured, and that's you know another heap of negativity because now people are saying, you know, God took his knee and all of these different things because he didn't want to kneel. Uh, but I'm I'm grateful that I have the people that I have in my life, my pastor, my wife, my church family, who was able to walk me through mm. um, those those tough moments and getting injured and, and 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 having to walk through that, and but now being able to see a tangible book, I'm like, man, God, I I can see. That, you, that that your purpose was in it that you had that you had something in the midst of getting injured because if I didn't get injured there wouldn't be a book there wouldn't be something for people to grab and, mm-hmm. and now people are talking about how inspired they are about wanting to stand for what they believe in but wanting to do it by standing in love um not just declaring what you believe in but hoping um and and gearing it in a way to reach the other side for them to to to, to understand what you know as well and so it's 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 just been a, it's just been an exciting journey uh yeah Wow, this is so exciting to get to talk to Jonathan Isaac from the Orlando Magic. Uh, Jonathan, you know, you've mentioned it already a little bit in this, uh, what you've just shared with us. Uh, My next question was going to be, and I'm still going to ask it, how quickly into this process did you realize that what was happening to you needed to go into uh, page form in a book? How quickly did that happen? Uh, pretty, pretty quickly. And the, the story is that my pastor, so I, I came home, I had the surgery and I was home and, you know, I got all these boxes of letters and all these different things. And, uh, my pastor came over one day and he was dancing and he says, you are going to write a book 
and it's going to be turned into a movie, you know, you know, prophesying, but he was just saying, this is what's going to happen. He said, wow. people know your stand, but they don't know your story. Um, and, and, and I, I thought that was so significant because I, it wasn't just me saying, man, I believe that Jesus is the answer as some cliche, you know, cookie cut Christian. It was like, I've experienced Jesus being the answer for me. And now I have this ability, this opportunity to tell that story. And so people can look at my life and say, this kid who struggled with anxiety, who struggled with fear, who struggled with depression, all these different things, he's the one that stood up alone. There's no way. Um, and it's because I've developed a relationship with Christ and I've experienced what the love of Christ is like and how it's a weapon and it could, it, it, it wins people. And so uh, now that I can detail that and say, man, this is what I've experienced, somebody might look at my stand and say, you know what, I, I, I want to look into that. And I actually agree with him because I can see the power of God through his life. Um, and I want to take the same manner of love and grace and truth that he did. Um, and so that's not just saying love as in everything is okay, because at the end of the day, I stood. And so mm -hmm. it's, stand, it's standing for what you believe in, uh, believing in what you believe in, but doing it in a manner to win the people that, that are on the other side. And so, uh, so yeah, so that, that's, that's how the, the book process came about. And then it just kind of flowed. Um, we got a book agent and, you know, we were off on the book writing process. It was, it was definitely tough. It's, it's, it's something that, um, and I'll, I'll say this too, just I, it's something that I never thought in a million years that I would be able to do is write a book. It wasn't even on my mind in, in, in an inkling at all. Um, but the more that I've leaned into finding my purpose in Christ, the bigger it's gotten. And so I'm like, I'm, it's almost like I'm looking inside myself and saying like, oh, a book, a, a movie, all these different things that I never thought I'd be able to do. Um, but I'm finding out that they're in me. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they're gifts that God has given me. So I've just tried my best to walk them out. Oh, that's great. Jonathan Isaac, Orlando Magic Players book is called Why I Stand. You know, when I'm listening to you, I think of the fact that most Americans, most people in the world, they struggle for a sense of living their lives for significance. And you have done some mighty things. You've uh, got to play at levels that few people ever will even imagine. But I believe, man, that one of the greatest things of significance that you've done is going to be proven to be your faith in Jesus and the walk and the stand that you've taken for him. And even the way that has translated now, literally translated into a book with that title, Why I Stand. We've got to make a stand, and there's no greater stand. It's one thing to play and have a great career. It's another thing to spend eternity with Jesus. And uh, that's what you're headed for. That's what we're headed for, those who are believers in Jesus. And that's going to be the day that will be pretty significant, right? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Um, I've, I've definitely found. And, you know, it's, <laughs> what's interesting is that uh, we're working on a second book. Uh, I, I'm not going to tell you too much about it, but it's called uh, Bigger Than Basketball. And, ah. and just, just to that point about finding your significance um, and 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 the, the greatness in who you are, not in what you do, not in uh, who you are in the natural sense, but um, the fact that you have a relationship with Christ and you have entered eternity um, and you're you're able to walk with God, that that is where the significance lies. And so it, the book is all about me talking about the experiences that I've had with Christ, where it's like, again, I thought I was living, I thought I had everything that I needed. And now I'm able to walk down this road of experiencing God's favor, experiencing a, what a relationship with Christ is like. And that's where I found the significance in my life. And um, 
you know, pointing that to all the different athletes who have strived so hard to be great at their sport. Um, and again, they've made it an idol. They've made it something to where it makes or breaks them, um, you know, that the accolade that they're striving for. But if, if we could strive for and see the the, the, the crown of, 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 of Christ as something as is equally as significant and greater, great, greater, you know, significance, um, then we would truly uh, be able to walk through life with the right mindset and understanding. I believe it. Jonathan Isaac, thank you for being with me today. The book is Why I Stand, and you can get it wherever books are sold, on Amazon or wherever. Highly recommend it. And Jonathan, thank you for taking the time to be with me today. My man, Mike, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I, I appreciate that. And, and just, again, just to continue to encourage people to go grab it. Um, I think Amazon might be the best way, but this this book is not just about standing in the bubble or refusing a vaccine. It really is about my journey and my story. Um, and how I was able to combat the things that I struggled with as a, as, as, as a child and continue to progress in today um, through a relationship with Christ and how that ultimately led to me standing in those different ways. Well, man, you're one inspiring young man, and I pray that others will uh, catch vision of that as they read your book. And thank you again. God bless you, man. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. I'll be back with segment three and Chad Davidson coming up in just a moment. On the line right now with Chad Davidson. Chad is a documentary maker. He's a host, and he is with us here today talking about a big thing that's happening right now with names that a lot of young people especially are following today, and that would be Marvel and DC, all of the entertainment producers like that. Chad, it's great having you with me here today. Hey, thank you so much, Mike. It means a lot for you to have us. Well, it is really exciting to hear. Now, you know, there's a lot of young people today that... Uh, I think it would be fair to say they think the the, the sun rose on uh, Marvel and they just love everything that Marvel puts out and all of the all of the incredible cartoons and and then uh, series that uh, TV uh, features today. There's uh, a lot underneath the, the surface that is concerning. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. But first, before we do chat, tell me a little, little bit about yourself and how you got in on all this media stuff. Yeah, well, it's really interesting because uh, for me, I grew up here in Southern California, and you know, I you know was your normal kid. You would have thought everything was going okay, and and so forth. I was in newspaper articles because of my wrestling, and you know, but the truth was is I didn't know the Lord, and eventually uh, my heart hardened towards the things of God, and I became an atheist. And it was actually a film made by Pastor Joe Schimmel of Good Fight Ministries titled They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll. And I watched that film as a 20-year-old man uh, when I was in college, and I gave my life to Christ after hearing the words of Jesus in Matthew twelve thirty. after realizing that there is a spiritual warfare, that I'm not just a, a robot, uh, <laughs> I, can't, I guess a, a moist robot, so to speak. And I watched that film and realized there's a spiritual reality that we live in each and every day. And when I heard the words of Jesus in Matthew twelve thirty, when he said, he who's not with me is against me, I realized I was against him and yeah, I needed to give yeah. my life to Christ. And then I gave my life to Christ on January 19th, 2009. Uh, I called my friend who gave me the video. I said, I got to meet the man who made this. I just gave my life to Jesus. He said, don't worry, that's my pastor. And we went to church that day. And not shortly after I began being discipled by Pastor Joe Schimmel. And then in 2013, I actually got to come alongside full-time, uh, answering questions, emails, writing articles for Good Fight Ministries, 
And then eventually we started a podcast show called Good Fight Radio Show. And Joe asked if I could do my own show titled 511 News, where I dig in to the news stories of the week. And then I try to bring it back captive to the obedience of Christ and share with people how they can use these news stories at their work or with their friends to open up an opportunity for the gospel. And so we've been doing that now since right before COVID <laughs> uh, went a little crazy. Back in 2019, we started our podcast show, and both of them are top 100 podcasts in the world for uh, faith and spirituality. Oh, my goodness. Congratulations. Uh, you, uh, you've got a leg up on my podcast. <laughs> I'm nowhere near that level, <laughs> but I'm so grateful to hear that you're doing so well. And you came in at a very difficult time, obviously, with the pandemic just right around the corner and all of this stuff, but it, it didn't seem to uh, deter you at all. No, it's it's really interesting because you mentioned it was a kind of a weird time. And, you know, we were in a situation where we had just finished building our studio. And in Southern California, they were cracking down. People were worried, were you able to leave your house? So we were kind of running over to the studio. And whatever Satan was trying to do, I believe God used it for good because we ended up being able to dedicate so much of our time. There was a lot we still were doing a lot of counseling at the church. I'm the youth leader at our fellowship, and Joe is the head pastor. But we were really able to focus so much of our time on um, growing the podcast. And, you know, it's amazing because you obviously have an audience, and it's so awesome just to be able to reach people that aren't just outside of your, you know, your neck of, wo- neck of the woods, so to speak. So this is a great opportunity. I know that you obviously are doing this for the Lord and us as well. So it's awesome to see people coming and, and coming to know Christ and being edified through this uh, media. It really is exciting. And for us, even on uh, opposite ends of the nation, you in California and we are in Florida and we cover all of Orlando, all of the middle part of uh, the state uh, going up through Ocala, the villages. You've probably heard about the villages. I would think even, uh-huh. <laughs> I think everybody's heard. And then on into Gainesville. So yeah, it's it's really great to be able to have this kind of bandwidth and to discuss on things. Now, this particular project, this documentary that that uh, you're working on, give us a little bit of uh, flavor for that uh, that particular documentary. Yeah, and one of the things I like to do is explain to people, because some people just think, you know, maybe we're legalistic or something along those lines or conspiratorial. But the truth is, is that when Marvel and DC, when they were coming out with their movies, I have four little children. And my oldest son, he was really into the Iron Mans and the Captain Americas. And for me, I thought, oh, you know, superheroes, no big deal. So we were taking our kids to see those movies. And it wasn't until uh, Pastor Joe had mentioned, hey, man, I was looking into some of this stuff. And it's really interesting, some of these actors and some of the comic book writers, what they're really into. And I think probably the straw that broke the camel's back for him was a couple of different things where he was looking at these evil characters and the terminology they were using, whether it was an X-Men apocalypse or whether it was in Endgame and so forth. It was the, the Thanos character that was using the term I am And then you would see him using these terminologies. And then he was like, wait a second, there seems to be something afoot here. You know, the last time I checked, I believe last year's Super Bowl, it cost six point five million dollars for 30 seconds of an ad. And the truth is, is that if you're a company and spending six point five million dollars for 30 seconds of an advertisement, 
And it doesn't work if it doesn't affect people by what they're watching to then spend their money and then consume whatever product that you're trying to give them. They'd all be bankrupt. But they know that 30 seconds that you get is going to affect them to the point where they're going to want to purchase your product. What about the worldviews that are being pushed for, what, three over three hours for Endgame? I think four hours for Zack Snyder's uh, DC's Justice League. I mean, I, I believe that the enemy is not sitting back and going, man, I really wish I would have thought of that to push antichrist agendas mm-hmm. in these films that millions and millions of people are going to see. And it's really deluding people. And that's exactly what I think caused Joe to said, we need to do something on this. And we have seven parts that we are working on because there's just so much. It's more than the music, he said. This is more stuff, more blatant Satanism than even the music. And they sold their souls for rock and roll. That documentary has changed a lot of people's lives, including my own. And for him to say that, I said, okay, this is serious. And we've been looking at it, and it's crazy. Now, do you think that all the people that are involved in every step of the way down from the production, the actors, would they all be as aware as uh, to the final? Or are they just kind of like blindly giving in to saying, hey, this is just the way it is in life today? Uh, what What is the role do you think they have? What responsibility? I, You know, I absolutely love that question because I do think that most people think, oh, you're just saying everyone's satanic. And I don't really believe that's the case. I think that there are plenty of people that are just, as the Scripture says in Ephesians 2, 2, that they're just children of disobedience under the prince of the power of the air being used by him. But there are those actors that do have certain quotes. There are those directors. There are those certain people that know the power that they wield. In fact, Gerard Way, who wrote an entire comic book series alongside Grant Morrison, who is a practicer, without a doubt, a practitioner of Aleister Crowley, uh, Satanist Lester Crowley follows his teachings, tells other people to follow them as well. When he was sitting down talking about their comic books and the effect that they have, he said that this is where people today are getting their moral compass. This mm-hmm. is where they're getting their courage. And he said, it's almost like, and he said, it's almost like we have an ongoing series of the Bible. And he said, what a power we wield with all of this. And then when we look into Robert Downey Jr., who, if it wasn't for Iron Man, literally, if it was not for Iron Man, no, there's no Marvel Cinematic Universe making more money than any, anything out there in recent memory. There, I, I mean, there would be nothing. But yet he, it's very interesting. Robert Downey Jr., when he was, you know, no, almost a nobody. I mean, he was an actor, but he was off into drugs and back and forth. Yeah, had so a lot forth. of trouble. It was lots of troubles. And then all of a sudden he gets Iron Man and everything changes. He actually performed, and this is in a Rolling Stone article as well as an Entertainment Weekly interview, and this is in our documentary, where he said if Aleister Crowley had a little brother, speaking of the, ma- the magic trick that he was playing, this, this entire using a wand, and he, he called it, he made an altar with different comic books of Iron Man and so forth, he said, if Aleister Crowley had a little brother, he said, I was that. So wow. he was practicing this in order to get the role, and then he gets it, and the entire universe explodes. Mm. Man, you know, the uh, the forces that are behind this are a lot more, it's kind of like, uh, almost like an iceberg, isn't it? We don't see much uh, above the surface, but below the surface, where the real danger lies, it's massive down there. 
no, I couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, I guess to finish answering that question you asked too, I do believe that there are plenty of actors that have no idea that they're being used in this way. Then there are the people like Alan Moore and Grant Morrison, two of the top comic book writers of all time that are Satanists. I mean, these guys are practicers of Aleister Crowley's magic. Uh, Alan Moore said of Aleister Crowley that he's the Albert Einstein of magic. He puts his maxim to what thou wilt into his comic book, things like V for Vendetta and so forth. And some of these guys are much more serious, know exactly what they're doing. And some of them are just pawns being used by the enemy. For parents and grandparents that are hearing this, what website can you direct them to to learn more about this documentary? Oh, yeah, you can go to MarvelDCExposed.com. You're going to find there, you're going to find there our first video on the series. It's titled Marvel and DC's War on God, the Antichrist Agenda. And we have another one coming out regarding specifically Doctor Strange, which they just came out with their new <laughs> their new horror film for Doctor Strange. And literally there was a whole thing online of little kids running out of the theater in fear of what they were watching. Wow. But nonetheless, you go to MarvelDCExposed.com and you'll find every video of the series as we slowly get them out to you guys. So basically, what your documentaries are exposing is the fact that there is, and indeed, it's not just entertainment that they're after, but there's a goal that they are reaching for, and it is not having anything to do with these superheroes. It has everything to do with the heart and soul of the people who are consuming these movies, right? Absolutely. I couldn't have expressed it anymore. They, there is something afoot, and we do not believe that all of this is going on. There's agendas being pushed. The directors are putting themselves in the film, like Joe Russo, who sat there in the opening scene of Endgame, only to have Captain America tell him he needs to go on more dates with other men, puts himself in there. All of these gay characters they're working in, the trans stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. And as you said, I don't think Satan's sitting back and saying, man, I really wish I would have thought of that. I think his hands are deeply into this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no question about it. And it it is really sad for those of us that really kind of grew up thinking that, you know, superheroes and it's all fun, it's innocuous, it's not going to hurt, right? It's all imaginary. But uh, the truth of it is these guys are reaching kids in a way that uh, there's no offsetting power Uh, in these kids' lives because they're not often involved in the church. They don't even have parents that are necessarily pointing them the way to the gospel. And so naturally, these are fields that are ripe for picking by these people, and that's what they're doing. Amen. I could not have worded it better than that. Well, it's really great having you. Thank you for that. Chad, it's really great uh, to find out about this. And give us that website one more time for finding out the information on your documentary. Yes, you go to MarvelDCExposed.com. And if you forget that one, one, one really easy website, you can, also, you can find all of our documentaries and everything we do, and that's at GoodFight.org. That's GoodFight.org. Well, I can't uh, say thank you enough, man. It's been great to talk with you. And we got to check back in together, okay? Yeah, that would be awesome, bro. God bless you. Okay, God bless you, Chad. And that's about all of our time for today. Many thanks to Jonathan Isaac and Chad Davidson. Be looking for this on our podcast page or by going to Spotify, Apple iTunes, or Google Podcasts 
You can always get Afternoons with Mike right there. We'll see you next time on Afternoons with Mike. <laughs>